Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I will invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter, passage that introduces a statement from angels, an angel in this passage. The author of the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks, died in January of 1893. And when a Boston mother told her five-year-old daughter of the death of Phillips Brooks, the little girl explained, Mother, how happy the angels must be. Now, we often don't think of death from the perspective of the rejoicing in heaven, of the homecoming for those that know the Lord. But the first Christmas carol ever sung was by angels to a very unlikely audience of shepherds that were watching sheep on the Judean hillside. What a choir that angelic host must have been. I doubt that they had an orchestra, but I'm sure their echo of their voices resonated in the still night atmosphere. But as we heard from the narrators today, the purpose of angels is really to point us to Jesus Christ. What I want us to understand from this passage, and in the few moments that we're going to have to consider it, is that the angels' participation in the Christmas story directs us to God's glory, and it provides hope for our lives. You know, several years ago, there seemed to be a significant interest and intrigue concerning angels, I'm not sure how much of that has abated, but I will say that if you get your information concerning angels from movies or TV or novels, you're going to be very deficient and have a distorted understanding. You know, it's not when a bell rings that angels finally graduate from Angiology 101 to flight school. That's not when that happens. And when people die, they don't become angels they enter their eternal home. But angels, as we heard, are created beings. They were created for honor, for worship, to serve God. They, they are created, and, and as a result of that, they are morally answerable to their Creator. Jesus Christ is the Creator. The Bible tells us all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Yet not all angels remain true and faithful to their creator. In fact, about a third of them followed Lucifer, who was also an angel, but in rebellion, and they were cast out of heaven. We refer to those fallen angels as demons. Someone's divided angels into three categories. You have the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) The good angels are those that did not rebel. The bad angels are the demons. And the ugly are the fallen angels who try to portray themselves as good angels. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us they are, there are false prophets. And it says there's really not a surprise because it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, For no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness 
whose end shall be according to their works. That's why it's so important that we evaluate what is said or what we experience through the lens of God's Word. But you know, the angels of Christmas are the good angels. When they appear in Scripture, they're, they're actually mentioned as part of a bigger picture. They are, not the, they are not the main characters. They are supporting actors in the Christmas story. And that's what we find in this passage in Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 1, if you are, are using the Bibles there on, in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 681. It's the first page of the New Testament. But follow with me as I begin reading in verse 18 of Matthew 1. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being roused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. In this passage, we find this angel of the Lord appearing. And the participation of this angel in the Christmas story, again, directs us to God's glory and our hope. But there are several things that I want us to understand about this announcement that I trust will be an encouragement and a hope for us today. The the announcement brought, first of all, emotional clarity. Do not be afraid. Isn't it interesting that that was the response when an angel appears and and yet the angel comes and, and, and in this dream tells Joseph, do not be afraid. You know, it's important to understand why there was this turmoil in Joseph's life. The, the marriage custom of that day involved a betrothal period. That It was a, a period of engagement like our engagement, but much more serious. It was a legally binding agreement. The, the betrothal period was sworn in front of witnesses, and it, they really were like the wedding vows that we have today, that we gather in front of witnesses. Well, that was their betrothal period. And, and it was, while it was not something that was commanded in Scripture, the Old Testament law provides guidelines and stipulations for those who were in this betrothal. The betrothed couple were viewed as husband and wife, but they did not live together as husband and wife. Sexual intimacy was not allowed. And, and while in our day a broken engagement involves emotional pain, hurt feelings, maybe hard feelings, it doesn't require legal action. But to break a betrothal required a divorce 
It was to put away. So as, as Joseph is thinking about this, he's thinking about putting her away. It's a, a divorce. And one of the purposes of the betrothal was to validate the faithfulness and purity of the couple. Purity is highly regarded in God's eyes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So imagine the confusion that came to Joseph. The turmoil that must have flooded his life when he learns that, that his bride-to-be is pregnant. We don't know how he learned this information. Did, did Mary tell him? Was it the local synagogue gossip that told him? Did he learn it from word on the street? We, we don't know, but I'm not sure that it really would have mattered. His heart was broken. He, he was crushed. I mean, even if Mary had told him, the, the, the explanation that she gave would not be con- convincing. Joseph was old enough to know where babies came from. Have you ever had a person let you down? You know, the closer the relationship, the more it hurts. You know, some, some of you have been hurt by someone you trusted. A parent, a family member, maybe a spouse, or, or somebody that you had committed your life to and they betrayed you. That would be how Joseph is feeling at this point. You know, the less committed you are, the less the, the hurt, but the more so, the more it lingers. A, a sincere commitment leaves deep wounds. And, and, and Joseph could have publicly denounced Mary. He, he had known her as a virtuous woman of unquestionable character. That had been her reputation until she was found with child. And it wasn't his child. And because he was a just, righteous man, he knew that he could not marry her. You know, life circumstances had turned against him. And, and it wasn't his fault. He had done the right thing. But now he has to deal with it. And regardless of what happens in Mary's life, Joseph was just and upright, and he faces this dilemma. His mind is consumed with the situation because the text tells us that that while he thought about these things, and we can be sure that he thought about them, waking up at night, wondering, maybe it's just a bad dream, but then realizing it wasn't. He could have publicly denounced her. Doing so would vindicate him, but humiliate her. And while he loved her, he did not want to make her a public example. So he was determined to divorce her privately, out of the public eye. While righteousness made that necessary, he did not have to be cruel. And then comes this announcement. The angel appears to Joseph. One of the things I find fascinating about this text is the angel of the Lord doesn't come to Joseph before he learns the news of Mary's pregnancy. Imagine the turmoil he could have been spared if he had found out ahead of time. Hey, Joseph, just want to give you a heads up. There's going to be some news that is going to shatter your world, but let me explain. No, he went through that turmoil. The sleepless nights, the heartache, the the uncertainty, the devastation, no matter how deep his love and trust for Mary, it took a divine explanation to remove the question that was in his heart. Folks, the purpose of this announcement is to bring us comfort in the midst of turmoil. 
Where do you turn in times of emotional uncertainty and upheaval? When, you're, when your dreams have been shattered, when your heart breaks, and we, we sing the song, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye, when I've tried and failed? Well, I'd like to have an angel show up and tell me. You know, that might be nice, but we have the written word of God. We have his promises. In Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Joshua 1, have I not commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In Psalm 139, the psalmist reflects that there's no place he can go that God isn't there. And where God's hand will not lead him and his right hand uphold him. So as it says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That is the word of God for you and for me. That is the hope that we have. It doesn't come from an angel. It comes from the written word. So where do you turn when you're lonely? You've said goodbye to those that are dear to you and the conversation seems so superficial. Do you think that Joseph felt that way? Do you think that Joseph prayed? Do you think that in his emotional turmoil that it directed his attention to the Lord? So how do we do in our prayer life? We can cast our burden upon the Lord and He will sustain us. He's promised He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Psalm, 1, Psalm 55, verse 22. This was an announcement that brought emotional clarity. But the second thing that I want us to see is this was an announcement that provided life direction. Fear not to take to you Mary, your wife. The second point is there's life direction in this announcement. Now, the Bible indicates that, that Joseph had already determined his course of action. He would put her away, divorce her privately. And so the angel comes to him and says, it's okay to take Mary as your wife. You know, I, I'm sure some of our college students would love to get this kind of word. It's okay to take so-and-so for your wife. Or maybe you'd like to make it a multiple choice. You know, if the angel could tell me A, B, or C or D, or E, or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, some of us, we'd like that in other areas of life. Maybe for a job situation, or a move, or, or for what the Lord would have you do in certain... Well, if an angel would... And again, folks, we have the written Word of God. Let, let's understand that this kind of divine revelation in dreams by an angel was extremely rare even in the New Testament times. In fact, there are only five or maybe six, depending on how you want to come categorize them, instances in the New Testament where individuals receive direct revelation, communications from God by dreams. And all of them have to do with Jesus Christ. Four of them have to do with his birth and infancy. Three of them are given to Joseph. Here in Matthew 1.20, in chapter 2, verse 13, when he's told to flee to Egypt. And then in chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, where he's, he's told to go back and return from Egypt. The other one was to the wise men in Matthew 2.12. And the final dream was to 
Pilate's wife in Matthew 27, 19, talking about Christ being a just man. So this was not a common occurrence even in the New Testament times. And that's not how the Lord works today. He's given us guidance through the commands and principles of the written Word of God and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have the inspired Word of God. So do we get as excited about the Word of God as we might about the chance of an angelic encounter in a dream? Because the purpose of angels is to direct our attention to God, not to themselves. Their mission was always to point people to the Lord. I know sometimes we get frustrated and maybe like Thomas in John 14 say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? I want to know the way. So how can we apply this? Jesus Christ is the way in life's complexity. He will guide. He gives us direction. Matthew Henry, the Puritan pastor from years ago, made the statement, God guides the thoughtful, not the unthinking. You know, it was while Joseph was thinking on these things that God gives him direction. God comes to his people when they are at a loss. That's when we need the Lord. Do you meditate upon his word? Do you trust, as the choir sang, be not afraid, but trust in the Lord? And as Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from the evil. Do you trust in the Lord? Say, yeah, I think I do that. Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? That's where I struggle. You know, okay, I'm trusting God, but, you know, I think well, and, and I tend to lean on my own understanding. You know, I, I appreciate how our, our map apps and GPS seem to be much better than they were when they first came out. But I don't know about you, but I've had times when I've been driving and I haven't really trusted my GPS. That it's telling me to go one thing, way, and I'm thinking, I don't think that's right. You know, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. If you're not sure of God's way, you're not going to have that confidence. Jesus gives us direction in life's complexities. The third thing, though, that we see is the announcement presented, the the supernatural explanation of the birth of Christ. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This This is the supernatural aspect of the birth of Christ that we must not miss. This is placed on the very first page of the New Testament. It begins in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. There was no male involved. You know, if you're here and not in children's church, you should know the reproductive aspect of basic biology. Like the little boy who went to his dad and, and said, where did I come from? And his dad had hoped that that conversation would be down the road. And they wouldn't have to have that yet. But dad said, well, okay. And so he gave the explanation of reproductive science in an age-appropriate way. And when he got all done, his son sitting there wide-eyed. And dad said, did that help you? He said, well, not really. I wanted to know where I came from because my friend Joey came from Cleveland. (laughs) Well, Joseph is wondering, where did this baby come from? And it was of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit puts the supernatural birth of Jesus on the very first page of the New Testament because it brings out the supernatural character of the gospel. If there is no virgin birth, then Jesus is not the second person of the Godhead. He is not God the Son. He's not a created being. He is God in flesh, incarnate. And therefore, if he were not God in come in flesh, he would have no power to forgive our sins. The supernatural birth highlights the supernatural character of our salvation. And so what we see is that Jesus Christ supplies clarity in a culture of confusion. Through the history, the angels had heard the prophetic statements. And, and when you read the Old Testament and we heard Scripture and, and the recognition taking us back to the Old Testament, the angels must have been curious, how is all of this going to work out? They're hearing what the prophets are saying, but wondering how is this going to be fulfilled. In fact, it, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, that, that the Old Testament prophets themselves search to f- find out how their prophecies would be fulfilled, what they meant and when they would take place. And then it says, and these are things that the angels want to look into. They'd like to figure it out as well. But with all the ups and downs of the disobedience of Israel and the personal disappointments of Israelites, God had a plan. And so Galatians 4, 4 tells us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. God has a plan. He has a plan for your life and for my life. Well, it doesn't seem like it. Well, God's timetable is not the same as ours. Because the fourth thing that we do see is the announcement revealed God's plan. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. God's plan for our salvation began in eternity past. The angel's opening words to Joseph in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, provides the historical link, the context of God's plan. This is the Messiah of the line of David. God's plan had come to fruition. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. In fact, He predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself. And we're accepted in the beloved in Christ. We studied that in Ephesians 1. So what was the price that it took for us to have that relationship, to, to be into His family, adopted as children? The price was the blood of Christ. Redemption through His blood. Why would God do that? You know, why not just banish sinful humans like He did sinful angels and cast them out of His kingdom? And the only answer is God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. That in Christ He shows His exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us. And so what we have to understand is Jesus Christ brings stability in times of uncertainty. You know, regardless of what comes into our life, God is never caught off guard. He's never wringing His hands saying, I wonder what happened. 
I'm sure that question went through Joseph's mind. What happened? This was the, the young lady I loved. Do you think Joseph ever wondered, where is God in this situation? Yes, the angel comes and answers that. But I love what Jerry Bridges says in his book, Trusting God. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. God wants the best for you and for me. And more than wanting it, he knows what is best for you and me. We don't know that. Sometimes we think we know. We know what we want. And not only does he want and know, he has the power to bring it about. Sometimes we know what we want and we are sure it's the right thing, but we are helpless. Joseph was helpless. But we have to also understand that God's plan is not on our time schedule. But even with his delays, God is never indifferent. I don't know about you, but I don't like delays. I don't like sitting in traffic. I would rather take a longer route where I'm still moving than sit still and wait. But you know, the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's not my nature, so I have to say, okay, Lord, what should I do? How do I wait when I'm frustrated, when, I, when I, I'm not seeing answers? Well, I have to remember what Romans 8.28 says. It reminds us what we already know. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. What's His purpose? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. He wants to make us like Jesus. Do we truly believe that? Do we appreciate what that means? Because the passage in Romans 8 goes on to say that nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say, well, how can I be sure about that? And it answers that question because he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not be with him also freely give us all things? How can I be sure? Because God gave his son for our salvation. One of the challenges I have, and I think one of our struggles, is we don't adequately reflect upon the cross of Christ. Appreciate so much the program bringing us to the amazing grace that brings us salvation through the cross of Christ. See, this is an announcement that tells us why Christ came. He was born to die. Why did he have to die? And that's the fifth thing that we see in this announcement. The announcement proclaimed spiritual hope. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus entered into our plight to redeem us from our sin. I mean, this is the climax of what the angel said. Jesus didn't come to redeem fallen angels, but he was made a little lower than the angels, taking on human form, becoming a man. He came to save humans who are made lower than the angels. How can we be right with God? You know, if we look at creation, which directs our attention to God, what we really see is God above us. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. And since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, even his eternal power in Godhead. That's what Romans 1 tells us. We see God above us. If you go to the Old Testament law, you see God against us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God will not hold you guiltless. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Say, well, I think I'm good with some of those. Until we remember that Jesus said, if I hate someone, I've committed murder in my heart. If you lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so we see God against us because we have broken his law. And Christ Jesus enters our world to bring us to God. In Christ, we see God with us. Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. What does that mean? The broken relationship is reestablished. The relationship that is broken by sin, the fall and by our sin, can be reestablished because of Jesus Christ. But how can a sinful person be reconciled to a holy God? Jesus entered this world, became a human, endured our temptations, faced our fears, experienced our disappointments, and died in our place. He entered our plight to pay the penalty for our sins. That's the message of Christmas. That's the meaning of Christmas. The angelic announcement that glorifies God by by bringing us emotional comfort and presenting Jesus as the way in the midst of a culture of confusion that reveals God's plan and brings stability in a time of uncertainty, it offers hope. Because Jesus Christ offers salvation to sinful people. That's why Christ came. He came to save sinners. We're all sinners. So the question is, is he your Savior today? Has there been a time where you've turned from your sin and put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone? Can you call God the Father your personal Heavenly Father? Because you're his adopted child. And if not, you can today. And if you would trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, turning from sin, trusting Christ alone for your salvation, there will be rejoicing in the presence of angels in heaven when one sinner turns from sin and trusts Jesus Christ. And it's not simply because of the death of somebody who wrote a wonderful song that we sing at Christmas. The angels will be happy because sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The angel participation in the Christmas story is to direct our focus to God for His glory and for our hope. Do you have that hope this morning? Let's pray together.